0: Warning: Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone.
1: Fire. Holodeck three program is reinstated. Open Sesame. Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of evil, now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the holodeck. I am Michael, your captain of the USS Rayman Digital And on the bridge, navigating the stars for us, is Lieutenant Junior Grade, David. Hooray, I'm Lieutenant Junior Grade. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. You are Boimler. You know that, right? Yes, I am. If you you were to be remade as a cartoon and thrown into Lower Decks, that's absolutely who you would be.
0: Well, the only difference, I think, is I would have actually embraced, actually, hey, we want to play games? Cool. Let's do it.
1: No. The only difference is that you're Filipino and he's white. (laughs) All right, we're going to be talking about season four, episode five, titled The Empathological Fallacies. I enjoyed this episode. My God, dude, yeah. This was quite a bit, actually. I mean, Lower Decks coming in with probably one of the more consistently funny episodes straight through from beginning to end. This episode felt more in line with what they were doing during seasons one and two. Yes, Where it's not just a few fragmented, funny, perverse moments. It was just funny throughout, just nonstop laughter from beginning to end, while also not forgetting what it is, which is a piece of Star Trek. Yes. A piece of a... IP that has been in existence now for over five decades, and you're going to have to adhere to certain core principles and tropes. And absolutely they do so in this episode with those deep cuts from TNG. Yes. You had the Betazoid Xanthi fever. Yep. And you had the Vulcan Bendy syndrome. Bendy syndrome. Both of which are in fact very deep cuts that were originally introduced in Star Trek The Next Generation.
0: And I think in here, in, in Lower Dex, not only was the comedy on par, but they were able to take those elements of, you know, dealing with Bendai Syndrome and dealing with the Xanthi Fever and giving us a story that also had a decent theme to it, which was about mental mental health, mental awareness. And using those elements that for a lot of Star Trek fans are very near and dear to the heart. I mean, the Bendai syndrome, when they brought up that, I remember those, those episodes with uh, Sarek and Picard and TNG. And those were emotionally packed episodes, you know, nothing. That whole episode is seared into my brain with like Picard crying that he never got a chance to tell Spock that he loved him. And and it was so emotionally charred and jam-packed while also telling a story of how, like, holding in your emotions, that was the negative of Ceric. Here, they took it even a step further. They took that emotional, those emotional beats and kind of made it more universal, telling people, hey, this is what happens when you aren't mentally aware. Your you're emotional awareness or your mental awareness also affects those people around you. And this was kind of like a really interesting way of doing that theme while still maintaining
1: your lower deckness. Having <laughs> those, those notes of levity for sure. Yeah. Well, not notes, entire songs, songs, songs of, levity. of levity. Yeah. So the synopsis for this episode, the hedonistic outlook of beta Zoe delegation affects the crew. <laughs> the episode was directed by Megan Lloyd and written by Jamie Loftus. So just to clarify a few things for listeners out there that may not be aware what the betazoid xanthi fever is. Uh, xanthi fever is a virus that affects the empathic abilities of older betazoids. It's basically Let's- menopause and it causes them to project a certain emotion onto those with a concealed tendency to feel that emotion. Yes. An example of this is when the crew of Deep Space 9 became attracted to various other members of the crew <laughs> when Loxana <laughs> yes. yes. Troy, Troy had the fever. And then the Vulcan Bendai syndrome. Is that how you pronounced it? Bendai? Uh Bendai, yeah. For Bendai some reason okay. I was thinking it was Bendy, but I think you might be right. The Bendai syndrome was a very rare degenerative neurological illness affecting Vulcans over the age of 200.
0: Almost treated kind of like Alzheimer's. It was like yeah. Vulcan Alzheimer's.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it was, yeah. A dangerous side effect of the Bendai syndrome was that the loss of emotional control could be telepathically projected to others. Vulcans were able to resist the emotional projections, but if the afflicted person was in the presence of non-Vulcans, the emotions could cause outbreaks of anger and violence. And in yeah. the case of Lower Decks, uh, sexuality, <laughs> I <laughs> Crazed mean, raised antics, depression. Maybe it's saying something about to She's so repressed. <laughs> oh, no, I love her. She, she's becoming one of my favorites. I just, yeah, lo- mine too. I, I love the Vulcan characters. I always have. So to see, them finally introduce that character in Lower Decks just makes the, the show, the series feel that much more complete. Yeah. Uh, now both of these were cleverly utilized, uh, the Xanthi fever and the Bendai syndrome to turn the Cerritos into an absolute circus. <laughs> and in doing <laughs> so, we get an episode that follows the classic TNG formula that ends with quite a bit Of character growth, or at the very least, some much-needed insight into our new Vulcan lieutenant. Yes. And I gave this episode points for using Talin as the episode's perspective. In a lot of ways, it was the familiar episode where we see, or the classic quintessential episode where we see our Vulcan crew member adjust to life on board a ship with mostly humans. Yeah. We've seen this now numerous times it's almost like a rite of passage at this point for our Vulcan characters oh yeah and this typically allows the viewers to learn more about their struggles and in the case of Talan her struggles and what she is contending with it's not just about adjusting to her new circumstance but also a bit of a reconciliation and introspection as it pertains to who she is that's why this episode really worked for me. Oh yeah. She feels like something is wrong with her because she's not Vulcan enough. This is why she was punished and sent to the Cerritos. Yes. It's this frustration that initiates the problems in the episode, the ensuing heightened emotional circus, emotional if you circus. will.
0: And I thought that basically th- her story being paired with story B was so well done because story B just helped accentuate those themes that Talin was going through. You know, the feeling of I don't know what's going on. You know, in a chaotic environment, you're you're adjusting to a new life, essentially, like Talin was. And you see that in the in story B with Boimler adjusting to what? A new lifestyle that is very chaotic to him. And it's not what he what he perceives, but taking those emotional tones and pairing it up with Talen made Talen's story much more impactful, especially when you get to the very end. And that's why I thought it was really interesting. I mean, one of the things that after I watched this episode, I'm like going, they've tried to do many a times a story like this in Star Trek when it comes to the Vulcans, we saw it in Voyager with Tupac or Tupac. It was T- Tup- Tupac. 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 Tupac was in there. <laughs> T- T- but they tried to do it with, Tuvok with <laughs> Tupac with his, with, with him going through Bendai syndrome when, or it now it wasn't Bendai syndrome. It was something, some other neurological disease that he was
1: dying of. Yeah. And like, Wait, maybe it was Bendai syndrome. Maybe it was. I'm not, I'm not too sure about that. But you're right. He but did have an illness that was supposed to affect his... His mental capacities. Yeah, his capacity at a decent life moving forward from that point. Yeah. And
0: I think, you know, this might sound sacrilegious to a lot of Voyager fans, but I think to Lynn's story is done more maturely being talked about how mental
1: awareness, mental health, treating it like that. I think you're not wrong, Dave, and I don't think it's blasphemy unfortunately uh, and maybe we should put together some shows for patreon to discuss this in further detail but Tuvok was just an unlikable character yeah I mean let's just be completely honest about it he was militant <laughs> very <laughs> with without a lot of redeeming qualities Like he had all of the Vulcan annoyances that I love, but without the redeeming softening aspects. Yeah, he was he was more. It wasn't until the final season when Neelix left the ship towards the end that he finally became the Vulcan that I like well that I could like yeah when he allowed his because it, it, it felt weird his hatred that he had towards Neelix towards it, Neelix yeah like he had this r- aggression where he just despised him in fact wasn't there a fantasy episode where he murders he Neelix? he murders Neelix <laughs> and it was yeah I remember that I wanted to like Tuvok I really wanted to like him and there are episodes where they really used him well so the writing itself wasn't the problem it was just the way they shaped his character I just I didn't really care. I felt like he was. His likability was unfortunately not as. Not as he established. was established. Like, he was like to Paul was for the first four episodes of Enterprise. Yes. You're yeah. like, okay, I don't really like you, but I understand what they're trying to do here. She moved past that. Yeah. Whereas Tuvok stayed in this bizarre rut for a majority of Voyager's run, yeah,
0: where it's like you know that Tuvok's going to be logical and sarcastic. That was it, yeah. And you know anything anything dealing with Neelix or, or any chaos would easily up, upset
1: Tuvok, right? And that's why, David, I say no. It's not blasphemous what you said about Tolin. N- I I th- I would agree that this episode, though it was funny in its design, had a lot of value there. It mm-hmm. had a lot of merit uh, when it comes to the more serious side of Star Trek. You just have to you have to look past its humorous veneer, quirkiness. Yeah, I call it quirkiness. <laughs> yeah. So the Betazoids were used as misdirection because, as we <laughs> oh, find yeah. out, it's actually to Lynn and the Bendai syndrome that caused this entire fiasco, but it was pretty cool what they did with the beta zoids for one, just like they did in the last episode with the Orions. I liked that. They actually showed another side of the beta zoids. I, I totally dug the introduction of the BIA or the beta Z intelligence. <laughs>
0: intelligence. That was so funny. And I like the fact that basically they, not only did they show a different side of the beta zoids, but they still embraced who we know of the beta zoids. Right. Like beta Zeds. Uh, that's probably the proper term is beta Zed. Yeah. But the, the beta Zeds, we've always been intru- introduced to them as characters who are, let's just say overly sexualized, especially with Deanna Troy's mom. What, <laughs> well, their culture
1: is a- is somewhat hedonistic.
0: Hedonistic. Yeah. That's the thing that I really did enjoy that they embraced it. But just like you said, they showed a different side of
1: it. They showed that they can't be taken seriously. Yeah. Because they should be taken seriously. Isn't that, I mean, maybe I'm just a weird Star Trek fan, but I've always wondered about that type of thing. I'm like, well, okay. There's gotta be more to this culture than the simply they like to have sex. sex. And they walk around naked for their wedding. For their wedding. There's got to be more to it than that. And of course, I understand that they use it for whatever reason in those episodic formats in the original TNG era of Star Trek. I get it. I understand. Star Trek isn't designed to just delve into every species and every culture. You just can't do it. Yeah. However, I appreciate that Mike McMahon can take something like the beta zeds and flesh it out just a bit. Obviously there's not a lot of time to do, no, to do a lot of groundwork, but still just the simple inclusion of the BIA. Well, the amazing- that they actually have something to their culture besides just Edenistic value. They have an intelligence. Yeah. You know, they have an intelligence agency that, that means they actually are aware of what's happening In the galaxy, because Mm -hmm. as we know, their mission was to find out or uncover the mystery behind the mysterious ship that has been initiating unprovoked attacks. So we know that they're actually aware of the galaxy outside of their own hedonistic world. Yes. And that's the thing is kind of like.
0: As much as I know, there are Star Trek trolls out there that want to crap all over the new shows if you look at Lower Decks... Are people Lower still Decks, doing that, David? Because I just ignore them now. I want—I I I wasn't even aware they're
1: doing it still. So.
0: <laughs> but I know that they're still there because they just don't disappear. <laughs> but like, oh. I'd like to point out to all those haters of Lower Decks, Lower Decks has done more for a lot of like the alien races, little things, little things, the
1: forgotten things, the, the forgotten things that things. have slipped
0: through the cracks, and they've brought them out, they brought them forward, and they've actually made them par- more relevant to to the overall universe of Star Trek. They've done that more than some of the other shows in the back in you know in classic TNG and classic uh, or classic Star Trek shows. They've done more pushing forward like the narrative and the the quote unquote character development of some of these character races in these past two episodes with the Orions and now the, the beta Zed. If you even want to take it even further with, with lower decks, they made the pack leads look threatening. How is that possible? But Mike McMahon figured out how to do it. (laughs) Think, think about it, Mike. It's the perfect villain for this show. It's the perfect it villain was for the show. perfect villain for this show. And if you look at all the, all the shows, Lord Dex is one of those ones that has been willing to embrace all the different types of ra- alien races that are out there. They've, they've brought in Pakleds. They've brought in Orions. They've brought in uh, Beta Zeds. They've brought in some of the AI races. They brought in Klingons. You name it. Some, some Star Trek series, we are lucky enough to get maybe Klingons, and that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I take your point, and I agree. That's, that's the reason why I continue to watch this show, because as I had mentioned during our discussion, I believe for the first episode of season four, I was just a little unhappy because I just felt like, okay, this is just rinse and repeat rinse jokes, and repeat. but this these types of elements in the, particularly in the last two episodes, episode three and four, I mean, that's really why, or I should say four and five, is really why I continue to watch this show. It's for those little moments where they take things that have fallen off the back of the wagon during its 50 year journey, Star Trek, and, and fleshes it out, reminds us, it's not just about self-referential treatment. The show definitely does that. That's, Probably what what it, if you had to point to one thing that the show can be defined as, yes, it's self-referential. But as long as we're given these little moments where they flesh out the world of Star Trek, like with the Orions, like they did with the Beta Zeds this, mm-hmm. this week, I will continue to watch this show.
0: And they were still able, even with like focusing on bringing in these new races, Mike McMahon and his writing team can still give off those one moment zingers that basically take you, uh, take you off guard. Like the Romulan joke, the Romulan joke had me, ch- had me tracking up when they barely get past, they get, they get away from the neutral zone. And then the Romulan bird of prey shows up and he's and the, they all go, Oh, okay. Let's go creep over into this sector over here. You know, and I'm like, going,
1: something about we'll go lurk elsewhere lurk elsewhere. <laughs> I, was like I, like going, I started laughing because that's pretty much what the Romulans did do. in TNG. It's, they That's were always they just cloaked lurking, lurking in some random place like why are you there bro? You're
0: <laughs> there. And it's like that when he's able to do that and then still give us like these really in-depth pushes and narrative when it comes to the alien races, it's really it's a testament to like the strength of this writing team. Yeah, because they know what they have to do.
1: Yeah, they know the assignment. They know the assignment. Yeah, I also appreciated that they connected the myth arc at last to the Cerrito crew itself, yes. because so far it's just been this. Um, kind I guess of like you could going say, like back and forth. Yeah, and it was a little bit of a narrative thread. It yes. was out in the ether; it wasn't really directly connected to any said episode storyline, mm-hmm. and now it's been effectively brought into the main storyline because of the beta Z connection. It introduced this threat now to the Cerritos crew, which I'm assuming now moving forward, there's going to be a lot more interaction between the Cerritos and, and this that mysterious ship. ship. Do you have any clue or theories as to what it is? It, reasonable theories, David, you know, not it? not tinfoil hat moments. Amazingly. It's cute. A ship. <laughs> All of a sudden, now that you said it, watch it'll happen. That's so dumb. (laughs) But like, honestly,
0: that's the one thing that surprised me. I mean, usually Star Trek fans will speculate up the wazoo who it could be. This is the first time that I've ever seen where people are really quiet about it. Because especially when we get a chance to finally see the haziness of the ship. Mm -hmm. It's a ship we've never seen before. It's a brand new, it's a, brand new looking ship, meaning it could be a brand new race for all we know. And I think that's what the excitement that some fans are looking into lower decks as is like, we're seeing things that we didn't think we'd ever see, but not only that Mike McMahon's able to bring in new things. And just like what me and you have harped on for, for Star Trek for the longest time, whether it's lower decks or Picard or anything, push your universe forward. If you can introduce new things, that's fantastic. You're giving us something new to talk about. And that's what I'm actually really hoping for. I'm hoping, Mike, that this villain is something brand new. For me, the only worst thing that it could be, and some people have been pointing it out, is it's another AI. It's another AI robot of some kind.
1: Yeah, well, that that seems to be the consensus online. I've uh, just been sorting through some of these theories just right now as you're talking. Which I mean. And it seems like people are leaning into Peanut Hamper. Peanut Hamper. It could be Peanut possibly Hamper and Badgie. And Jeffrey Combs. And Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> playing some, uh, playing one of those. Um, didn't he play an AI already? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it might be one of them. People have mentioned that they're locked up, but listen, they can easily escape. And Lord Deck
0: seems to embrace the whole AI villain. I mean, some of their best villains by far are AIs. Badgie is one. Badgie is probably the number one villain.
1: That Badgie has a good heart, though.
0: (laughs) Mike, he wants to kill things randomly.
1: He wants to kill his father. Come on. (laughs) That's not good. I think we've all been there at one point. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But overall,
0: that's what I'm hoping for. I hope that it's something new. Yeah. I don't want it something to be like a deep cut no. of, of some Star Trek. Yeah. Lore. Let
1: it be exclusive to lower decks. Let it be,
0: ex- yeah, exactly. Let yeah, it be I something agree. exclusive to lower decks.
1: Yeah. So overall, the episode was just filled with humorous moments. I liked the ransom stuff the best. I knew you were gonna bring that up. <laughs> I just thought it was funny because <laughs> hilarious. I'm
0: sorry when when he started hitting on the beta Z and the beta Z turned him away yeah. and he started crying. <laughs> I can play hard to <laughs> get. I can play hard. You play hard to get. <laughs> and then later on, he's talking about the talking with the his one bro. Yeah, and he's like, she turned <laughs> me down. <laughs> and then He's, oh my god, this is ransom's
1: inner thoughts. <laughs> I also liked the Anna stuff. She is ferocious. (laughs) And the fact that her and Shaxx are a couple. I know. I have to see her in live action. I want to see her in live action. I really dig the doctor as well. It's something I don't really get into too much in this show. It's
0: those characters, man. All the doctors are fantastic characters in Star Trek.
1: Yeah, she's cantankerous and that's why I <laughs> The fact that she wanted to eat them, you find out and that's the They used to eat beta zeds. They
0: used to eat or beta, eat beta Zed. zeds. Yeah. And you do realize she's also a, a, a one off alien race that we've never seen before. In oh, that's right. T- she,
1: they were that species was introduced in lower decks, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like going, that's what I mean is Although oh, like, there, there was a cat character, if you remember, in Star Trek five. And and, oh, she, attacked yeah, and she attacked Kirk. She attacked Kirk. Yeah, that's it true it might be a different might character might be a different character i'd have to go look but you know i what? feel like we've talked about this isn't it deja vu isn't there some deja vu here or is that just me i think that l- might be just you oh, okay so but, maybe we have not i'll have to look it up for our next discussion to make sure
0: but she's also one of the she's also one of the characters that is a standout for lore dex i mean in all all the seasons, not even in this season mm-hmm. i still see the standout uh to me and that's why I'm happy that me and you seem to be on the same page as, uh, um, uh, oh my God, the Vulcan character to Lynn <laughs> Yeah. I was about to say to Ann, but that's the doctor, but to Lin has actually been my standout because I've been so happy to see this logical character mm-hmm. taking a look at, and this is their perspective, this chaotic crew. And, She's been. She's getting up there. I love the fact that basically she's very standoffish with a lot of like the other uh, crew members, and all of them want to be the, her friend.
1: I would want to be her friend. <laughs> That's the thing.
0: Is like Let's I could go picture, make
1: some sweet, sweet pan far together. I can picture is like. <laughs>
0: She's like constantly just trying to get away from us. <laughs> oh, I'd be mean, like, I can play hardy to get it.
1: <laughs> if you want. <laughs> I can play to get <laughs> All right, David. So I'm gonna give this episode
0: 89%. Yeah, I'm with you there. I actually uh, have it as a 90. It's one of my favorite episodes this year and or this season because like also I like the theme them tackling a theme about like mental awareness. I think it was done smartly, and it wasn't like a box standing on a soapbox thing that normally people do when they do these type of yeah. theme episodes, mm-hmm. it seems really kind of, uh, what's the word? Ill conceived. Ill conceived. Yeah. This feels like it was well thought out, tied well to the story, but and, also not taken overly serious
1: and not taken knowing what serious. this show is. Yeah.
0: Because I think that's also The vibe they want you to have when it comes to mental awareness. Hey, it's no big deal. Don't worry. You can get through this type of mentality.
1: Yeah. All right. This brings us to the end. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, David.
0: Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but
1: notice your pain. My
0: pain, it runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.